Hello, my lovely people, and welcome back to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. Today, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 4, Birds of a Feather, first aired October 14th, 1984. IMDb says, Jessica's niece, Victoria Brandon, is horrified when her fiancé, Howard Griffin, is arrested following the gunshot murder of a nasty San Francisco drag club owner, Al Drake. Well, all right, let's get into this. But just a second. So let's figure out how Victoria is related to Jessica. So Jessica is McGill Fletcher, right? So I am guessing that Victoria is the daughter of one of Frank's sisters, who I'm guessing married someone with the last name Brandon. So this must be one of Frank's nieces that is now Jessica's niece because they were married. So, okay, got it. Now let's get into this case file. The show opens up with a panoramic shot of this, I believe it's the San Francisco Bay, but we see Alcatraz off in the distance. It's a beautiful day in San Francisco. And we see this car pull up to the dock and Howard, who um, is Jeff Conway, (laughs) uh, better known as Jeff Conway, uh, hops out of his car in a three-piece suit, which is interesting because I'm assuming that this is earlier in the day, like this is how um, the day is getting started. So it was interesting to see him in a three-piece suit, especially when we find out what his actual job is and... So why is he wearing a three-piece suit? But okay. So he catches up with Al Drake, who appears to be finishing up his morning run. And he asks for his money because he has been working and he has not gotten paid. Al Drake is having none of this and is like, you'll get paid when I'm ready to pay you. You better be there tonight. So uh, Howard gives a little pushback, but then... (laughs) Al um, points to his dog and um, Fritz, his dog Fritz, who growls at Howard and Howard backs down a bit and says, I'll be there tonight, but I'm, you better have my money. And he gets in his car. So honestly, I did not even notice the dog until Al said, Fritz. And then they pan to the dog. I'm like, was he running with the dog? Did Where did this dog come from? He seems to have just appeared out of nowhere. But maybe I was mesmerized by the San Francisco Bay and Alcatraz in the distance and how beautiful of a day it was that I didn't realize there was a dog running next to um, Al. But for me, it looked like it popped out of nowhere. Anyway, so Al goes to his vehicle and we this must be where he runs every morning because obviously uh Howard knew where to find him and we now meet Mike DuPont who is also one of the people who works for Al Drake and they are arguing about something and I think it's because Mike wants to purchase the club and Al is resistant. So 
they there's some back and forth and then Al calls on Fritz who growls at Mike and Mike growls back at him <laughs> the dog said oh no not not today and turns like whimpers turns around and gets in the car he was like I I was not paid for this I was just told that I am supposed to growl at people for protection. I'm not actually going to bite anybody. <laughs> I don't know what they think this is. Oh, they they barking back? Oh, no. Mm-mm. Not today. No, I'm, I'm going to go get in this car and mind my business. This wasn't my problem. I'm not going to make it my problem. <laughs> Smart dog. So now we're at the church. And Victoria is talking to the priest. She says, oh, we're going to have an intimate wedding. Um, Maybe about seven people. Is it just me or did the priest seem to be a bit judgy when she was like intimate? Like, oh, only seven people. If I am paying for your time, it doesn't matter if there's a thousand people or seven people. I'm not asking you to get security. I'm not. I'm just asking you to marry me and my fiance. So, but he seems very judgy, did not appreciate that. <laughs> so then Howard comes running in and now I'm realizing he had the three-piece suit on for the wedding rehearsal. So he runs in, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got stuck at work and had a bunch of things to do. Uh, the priest is like, uh, I have a choir practice right at, in like five minutes. So can we move this along. So now I don't know what time it was scheduled to do the run through. I don't know how late he is, but it didn't seem like Victoria had been there that long for him to, for the priest to have scheduled a run through right before choir rehearsal. So I don't know, maybe he needed better time management, but again, we don't know how late uh, Howard was. So Howard's like, I can't do dinner with your aunt. The priest is like, let's get this on the road. (laughs) Like, I don't care about your, you know, your private matters or your personal matters. Let's just do this run through so I can go. And apparently it's the children's choir because the little kids are waiting. So Victoria's upset. Howard hands her his handkerchief and she sees makeup on it. So she's even more upset and confused. She says that Howard has been working late all for five days in a row. We soon find out that she has flown in from New York to San Francisco uh, for this wedding. And I guess they're going to live in San Francisco. He, Howard has an apartment set up for them here. And so she's only been there five days. And all five days, Howard has worked late. So she is upset, which is understandable. You're, you've picked up your life from New York um, because he got a job opportunity in San Francisco. You're going to set up your life in San Francisco. And the least he can do the five days before your wedding is to at least have dinner with you. You know, I don't know what he's doing during the day. We never find out what he's doing during the day because he works at night, which we're about to find out. So Jessica and Victoria go to the restaurant. They're going to have dinner regardless. And 
Jessica's like, are you sure these are Maine lobsters? And they're like, yes, they were flown in fresh this morning. She's like, yeah, no. Okay, I don't know where you got these lobsters, but it was not on the East Coast. And it definitely was not in New England. So (laughs) she's like, we'll take the first two that move. (laughs) She is, she's being a good sport about it, but... She's like, these people are lying and they're probably charging you top dollar for like not great lobsters. So they're talking and Victoria's like, she's concerned. And Jessica sees that like you're, you're concerned you're going to get married. I think the next day there or in two days, something like that. I think they're supposed to get married within a day or two. And Jessica sees that uh, Victoria is a bit out of sorts. So she says, well, her and Howard met a year ago in New York. And he was an actor at the time, more so a cab driver. (laughs) Uh, I think he had a part in a show, but his main job was as a cab driver. He then found a job uh, as a life insurance broker or agent in San Francisco. My question is, if now to sell life insurance, I think you have to take, you have to do training. I think there's a certification process. Now in the eighties, I don't know if they had those same standards. I really don't. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt, what happens now. But my question is, why couldn't he get a job in New York? San Francisco is not cheaper than New York to that that extent, you know. So I don't understand why he had to fly across the country to get a job in life insurance. So <laughs> I that didn't make sense to me, but she seemed to be okay with it. It wasn't even like, <clears throat> excuse me, he was moving to Los Angeles to do life insurance because then that would have made sense because he wanted to be near in Hollywood, near Hollywood, and perhaps be able to get his big break. He could do auditions. Los Angeles made a lot more sense from moving from New York than to move to San Francisco. Now, I don't know if they had a big film industry in San Francisco in the 80s. Maybe they did, so maybe it made sense at the time. But watching this show now, again now, and thinking about it, Moving to San Francisco from New York did not make sense. Um, It's not like they moved to a city that was much less expensive to live in than New York. San Francisco was not that place for sure. So um, Victoria has doubts. She thinks that Howard is cheating on her. And she feels that, um, you know... He hasn't spent time with me. Then she saw the makeup on his handkerchief. And she she says that um, she called the insurance company to get in touch with him and found out that he had not worked there in a month. So he has been in San Francisco for quite a while. So now they've only been together for a month. They're about to get married. He's been living in San Francisco for over a month because he was working the job at some point. So for a period of time of your relationship, he has lived 
in San Francisco. So especially the fact that he's been in San Francisco for, we'll say two months at least, let's say at least two months, that as soon as you got there, he couldn't spend time with you, I would be suspicious as well. Uh, She says that he has circles under his eyes. He smells of perfume. She saw the makeup on his handkerchief. And he has these matchbooks all over his apartment that are for this um, French-named club that sounds real sophisticated. And he's, she's like, I wonder if this is where he's taking her, uh, believing that he's uh, dealing with someone else. Jessica says, it's okay to snoop for your own peace of mind. And I'm saying to myself, I agree. Normally, I I don't know if normally I wouldn't, but in this case, there are a lot of clues for her to be suspicious because if we haven't been together in a few months and I fly here because we're days away from getting married and you are working late every night, listen, you know, you can take some personal time off uh, to spend with me. I'm I know we'll have a lifetime together, but it's not like we were waking up next to each other every day for this whole entire year. You have been on the other side of the country. So I agree. I would be suspicious too. And I I would definitely be snooping, especially after she found out that he hadn't been working at the insurance company for a month. Now, I would have just left him at that point. Like, oh, you're lying to me? I flew all the way over here to marry you and you're lying to me? No, no. I Maybe I'd give him a chance to explain, but we wouldn't have got this far. Uh, we wouldn't have got this far. So now we're at the club. And so Victoria and Jessica are trying to get in. And the maitre d' is like, uh, we don't have a table for you. We have a reservation uh, next Thursday. (laughs) They're like, yeah, that's not going to work. So then Victoria takes it upon herself to, she sees the poster and a picture of Al Drake. She then sees him in person. She walks over to him and she's like, hi, you know, I normally don't do this, but my aunt is super famous uh, and we can't get a table. So... uh, (laughs) Al knows an opportunity when he sees one. So he's like, oh, okay. I didn't know her. Oh, she's a best-selling novelist. Okay, great. Um, Mater D guy. I, I'm sorry. I did not get his name. I don't even know if they said his name. But so get these ladies a table. So they had a table available. It was the worst table in the house, though. <laughs> it was like behind a column. But Victoria didn't care because she said, you know what? I can see all the patrons here. So that's the most important. I don't really care about the show. But what I noticed when they walked in, behind the Mater D, you could see the stage. And there was clearly a uh, a drag queen, for lack of... That's what they called them then. It may be a, a bit offensive now. Sorry. Uh, but there was a female impersonator, I'll say, on stage and was doing a horrible job. From the distance, you could see that the clothes were just all over the place. Um, The singing voice was terrible. And uh, 
the performer was just falling over things and tripping and everyone's laughing but it's clearly that was the type of show it was right so they sit down and um the next set and it's a packed house it's it's really a packed house this is obviously a popular club uh to be at and they're clearly making money why Al is not paying people is something very different. So uh, we see um, Bill Patterson, who we find out is Freddie, who we'll meet in a second, his agent. And he's trying, he's talking to Al and he's like, he, you know, Freddie wants to get out of his contract. Um, you know, he's getting some really major offers And Al is like, yeah, that's cute, but no. Okay, he would be nothing without me. I took a chance on him. He signed that contract. He is bound by that contract, that seven-year contract, okay? (laughs) And Al was like, case closed, okay? So uh, then we see the person now on stage, they previous performer leaves as they're being seated. Uh, The host comes out and introduces the next act, which is Freddie York. He's a comedian who has a drum set. He does his own rim shot. Uh, It is kind of funny. I I did get some giggles all these years later. They were funny, you know. Um, And I notice also as they're panning around the club that there is a water fountain in the middle of the club. (laughs) This is high falutin here. You have a water fountain in the middle of the floor with patrons. Okay. Um, Very fancy French named place. And so we're back at the door at the Mater D and Mrs. Drake, Al Drake's wife, uh, pops in. And so the maitre d's like, oh, hi, Mrs. Drake. Um, does does uh, Mr. Drake know you're here? She's like, no, I don't have to tell him if I'm coming in. This is my club too. So the maitre d calls over a waiter and says, Mrs. Drake's regular table. Why is her table empty? If she just, she popped up on by surprise and her table is available and it's front row center. Okay, it's the best table in the house. Now, I don't know if they hold it in case um, Mr. Drake wants to watch the show. So they just don't, you know, they weren't necessarily holding it for her. But maybe the table is always empty just in case Mr. Drake wants to watch the show. And so Miss Drake, uh, his wife, when she pops up, the table is available because they always reserve it for um, Mr. Drake. So maybe that's how it was still empty, but Victoria and Jessica couldn't get a table. So, um, the maitre d' also tells the waiter, tells another waiter to tell Mr. Drake that his wife is on premises. So the waiter goes back and he bumps into the office manager, Barbara, and she's like, why are you back here? And he says, well, um, the maitre d', whatever. I was told to tell Mr. Drake that his wife is on premises. 
So Barbara says, okay, I'll, I'll tell him. And so she goes to tell him. While the next scene is, and it's not even a full next scene, but the next thing we see is we're on stage and it is another female performer. This is clearly, and they name, <laughs> her name is Michelle DuPont. This is clearly Mike DuPont. So he is one of the performers at Al Drake's club. Even though he's trying to purchase the club, he is the star attraction. Him and Freddie York are the star attractions at this club. So as Michelle is starting to sing, there's a scream that comes from backstage. Now we hear it and... Michelle slash Mike is like, okay, and continues to sing. And then um, someone in drag comes running out of the back and Barbara's not too far behind them screaming like, murderer, murderer, catch the murderer. And so security comes out. They, this person is really like doing some football moves, some fast feet football moves to dodge security and he's almost successful but he turns and falls over a table so they're able to capture him his wig falls off he turns around full face of overdone makeup i'll say and victoria and jessica are standing there victoria's like howard and so we find out that is what he's been doing this has been his job he has been a female impersonator Every, and that's why he was working every night because he was working at the club. My question is, what was he doing during the day? Like, this is his job. What time does this club open? How many hours is he working here? Um, that why couldn't he just tell Victoria, I have a job at night. I work security at a club, you know, <laughs> but OK, this wouldn't have pushed the story along. But he could have said, I work security for a club um, with female impersonators. So he could have been honest to a point. So that would explain the makeup, the perfume, all of that. She wouldn't have been as concerned. They could have spent the days together with her understanding that he works at night. And there would not have been a problem. So, okay. And she probably never would have went. Or you could have invited her and told Mr. Drake that invited her at a specific time so that you would have your act would be done you could be cleaned up and in a suit by the door to look like you were working security and she would have never known that you were actually a female impersonator but that would not have moved, that wouldn't have been as dramatic. That wouldn't have moved the story along. So let's continue. So they catch Howard um, and they call the police, right? And this is the first time that Jessica is meeting Howard. I did not realize that she had never met him because she was like, Howard, your fiance? So it sounds like they were probably supposed to meet and sit down at that dinner that he couldn't make it to. That's when he was going to meet Jessica. Now, um, he is in custody. They have him 
uh, secluded in a room with security in front, not a police officer, but the club security. Um, Victoria asked to see him. She's like, you can hold my purse. You can pat me down. You know, I just want to see him. So she goes in. He no longer has his wig, but he's still in full makeup, full gown. And she, okay, all of the kisses that occur in this episode are gross, okay? (laughs) They look like they're trying to eat each other's face. Now, I don't know. That's a very um, overdone thing. Like, it's more of a theater type situation, type of kiss, because you have to do things much bigger in the theater so everyone can see it and understand what's going on. But on TV, it was a lot. It was a lot. Not even the fact that he was in a full face of makeup and a dress. I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't um, concerned about that. But like all of the kisses were too much. They were too much. And Victoria's like, oh, you know, I'm just so happy. Not that you were arrested for murder, but that, you know, this is why you had makeup. Like, this explains everything. You know, the bags under the eyes, the makeup on the handkerchief, the smelling of perfume, the matchbooks because he worked there. Although he's not a smoker, so I don't understand why he had all these matchbooks around his apartment. But that is something separate. So the detective, the lieutenant and his partner come in and Barbara, the secretary slash office manager, says that Howard was standing over Drake with a gun, dropped the gun when he saw her and ran. And so that's why she was screaming murderer. Obviously, he did it, although she did not see him do it. Um, they heard, I don't know, no one even heard a gunshot. So they don't know how long... Um, Al Drake had been dead. So that's, but seeing the scene as it was, it would make sense to believe that Howard was the person who murdered Drake. And we know that um, Al Drake owed him money. And so he explains that he was only, the job was only supposed to be for two weeks, but um, Al refused to pay him. And so he had to keep working in order to um, try to get paid. And he confronted him about it. And that night, he was like, he didn't care. Even if he didn't get paid, he was going to quit. He didn't want to do this anymore. And he also said, like, after the two weeks, he was so bad that he was good. The audience thought he was hilarious and they loved him. And that's why Drake wouldn't just pay him his money and send him on his way. He was helping to make money for the club. So Drake kind of locked him in knowing he needed the money. He forced him to continue to work. So that's where we're at with that. And so Jessica is in the room. And she says to the lieutenant, Lieutenant Novak, that, um, oh, did you notice the feather on uh, Mr. Drake's jacket? And there is a bird there. There is a bird in the dressing room or the office, in the office. And the lieutenant is like, yeah, it's from the bird. Um, Ma'am, can you leave? And so <laughs> he basically told her, mind your business and leave. 
Okay. <laughs> Which, honestly, we know that Jessica is very insightful. But this, he, his response was appropriate. Because this is a homicide scene. And although we they did not have the same level of technology or forensics as we do now, they still needed to process the scene. And her walking through it, making observations, was not helpful in the sense of keeping the scene as it was so that they could have sufficient proof and evidence when they had to go to trial with the actual murderer, whether it was Howard, which of course, because he's related to Jess, well, soon will be related to Jessica. You know, like obviously couldn't have been him, right? It's not. Spoiler, it's not him. But whoever the actual murderer is, They'll have to take him to trial and her traipsing through the crime scene is not going to look good for the prosecution. So now they're at the precinct and um, they're talking, the lieutenant is talking to Freddie York and Freddie says, well, while I was working, making a living in the front, out front, he was dying backstage. I was like, okay, that that was too much. That was fun. <laughs> it was funny. But <laughs> period. It was funny. I, I don't care. It was funny. And so he says that uh the lieutenant's like, well, now you're out of the contract uh because now Al is dead. So you had a reason to kill him. You want to go, you have all these big offers and you couldn't get out of your contract. Now that Al Drake is dead, you're free. And he's like, ah, you know, what am I supposed to do? I was out front making a living while he was in the back dying. So, So he's like, I don't know what you want me to do. You say that I have witnesses. I was out front when he was murdered, according to you guys. So... Jessica comes in and Lieutenant Novak's like, oh my goodness, what do you want, lady? And so she's like, I was supposed to go on a TV show this morning. I canceled it. But maybe I should go on there and tell them not about my latest book, but about the insensitivity and arrogance of the city homicide division. So now just just a second. Now, Jessica does not know this man. Okay, and her niece has only known him for a year. So she's putting a lot uh, on the line for this person that she doesn't know and that her niece doesn't even know that well, to be honest. A man who was lying to his fiance, your niece, about what he was doing for work when he could have just been honest because Victoria seems to, I don't understand why she's so desperate. You know, she's a very pretty girl and she does have good working potential. We'll find out in future episodes that, you know, she can get and keep a very good job. So, and um, Howard is a struggling actor for the entirety of the time we know them. But why is she so desperate? Like, not just... Jeff Conway is not a bad-looking guy at that time. He's all right. But 
he's lying to you. And you find out what his real job is, which is like, okay, he's not cheating on me, but he lied to you. <laughs> That's a big thing. He moved across country and he made promises. He cuz he lost his job in insurance, which it's like so you're you think you can make it as an actor when you can't even make it as a salesman? You can't convince people to um purchase life insurance. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, I did work for the life insurance company for a while. I don't know if he said how long um, he worked for the uh, life insurance company. But he says, do you know how difficult it is going into people's homes and telling them how rich they'll be after they die? Granted, granted. But you want to make it as an actor. You needed to fake it till you made it. And getting this job, this two-week job, so you're out of work for about you're out of work now you find this advertisement to you know do this show for two weeks now it's not an acting job it doesn't look like it's going to get you anywhere and it's only for two weeks so (laughs) he makes horrible decisions and victoria is just like very supportive which I guess, but honestly, she could do better and probably deserves better. Maybe Howard needs to get his life together and then they should get married, but that's just me. Anyway, so the lieutenant says, um, you know, it's clearly him. Now, there was the gun that was used was stolen from a pawn shop in New York and Howard was in New York before he came to San Francisco. His fingerprints are on the gun. He was standing over the body. Now, though like I said before, all the way it was set up, the what Barbara saw would lead anybody to believe that Howard murdered Al Drake. So, you know, I understand that Jessica doesn't want to believe this, but you've never met this man before. You don't know him. And I feel that she had too much faith faith in a man that she didn't know. And her niece only knew for a year. So um, Howard says that he was in there. Like what happened? Jessica gets to see him while she's sitting down with him. She's like, what happened. I don't believe that you killed him, but what happened? So he says he was going in there to demand that he be paid. He didn't care. He needed his money. When he walked in, Howard, I'm sorry, Al was faced away from him in his chair. He walks in, he steps on something, looks down, and it's a gun. He picks up the gun, says, hey, is this yours? And to to the Al who's turned around. He was like, you're going to pay attention to me. You're going to pay me my money. He whips the chair around and Drake is there dead. And so at that point, that's the very moment that Barbara walks in. Uh, Howard has the gun in one hand and he turns and he looks. <clears throat> she immediately sees that Al Drake is dead. She screams murderer 
and uh, and Howard drops the gun and runs out. Now, my question is, why would you have picked up the gun off the ground, for one? And then you're like, oh, is this yours? <laughs> you're in there to demand your money. And you're like, oh, is this gun yours? Just laying on the floor. <laughs> like, okay. But I think Howard is supposed to be... Um, you know, not all put together so that he he wasn't a good female impersonator. He wasn't a good insurance salesman. He is probably not a good actor, to be honest. Um, So (laughs) it's believable that he would step on a gun, pick it up and be like, oh, hey, is this yours? Give me my money. (laughs) And um, so... Jessica says, it's, you know what, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm going to do what I can do. And, you know, this is exciting because there's only been one killer in the, um, in the family and the red coat shot first. So obviously the person was a union soldier, um, back in 1777. So, so then as they're talking, um, the lieutenant calls Jessica on the phone and he says that the time of death is between 9.50 and 10.05. She says, well, that's very specific. And so the lieutenant says, well, that was while York, Freddie York was performing and the sound of his drum covered up the sound of the gunshot. So now we're at the club. And Jessica is there and she is looking for Barbara. And she bumps into Bill Patterson, who's like, oh, Jessica, um, how, I, how are you doing? Um, you know, congratulations on your, I hear you have six paperbacks and one movie sale. So now we know she has at least six books that have been published Maybe seven, because if they're already in paperback, most books come out hardcover first and then paperback. So she may have, and she actually has a new book that she was going to be talking about. She was doing interviews uh, in San Francisco for her new book. So this, I'm guessing, would be book seven that would have not yet been in paperback. So she has at least six paperbacks, so six books that have been published in hardcover and now paperback. And one sold as a movie, which I think we'll learn about in the next episode. (laughs) So Jessica says, oh, well, I'm looking for Barbara. And um, Bill is like, hey, do you have anybody helping you on the West Coast? And she's like, yes, I do have a publisher I'm very happy with. He's like, okay, let me know if you need anything. So he says, well, Barbara's in the back, Um, you know, go to the stage, make a right, whatever. He gives her direction. Jessica, as she's going up, she sees Mrs. Drake and Mike DuPont slash Michelle. And she says, I don't know what you're thinking. Miss Drake is starting to argue with Mike, saying that she is honoring all contracts. So you're not done. You are under contract and this is my club and I am honoring all contracts. So Mike says, if you're going to have this, if you're going to say this or we're going to have this discussion, we better do this in my dressing room. So they storm off 
and they get into his dressing room. And again, one of these overly dramatic kisses where they look like they're trying to eat each other's face. And so obviously they're in a relationship together. Now, what I also noticed for the first time, I've watched this episode a number of times, but this is the first time I noticed when they walk in, there is a painting on the wall and it's a, a woman. It, so when you first look at it, it looks like a woman in a, with blonde hair, a very fitted red dress in a sexy pose, right? If you look a little bit closer, you realize that the face is Mike DuPont's face. So <laughs> it is a painting of Mike DuPont at dressed as Michelle with a blonde wig. I doubt if that's like, I'm sure they put his face on a different body, but a woman in a sexy red dress with Mike DuPont's face. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I really had to stop for a minute and really take that in because I had never noticed it before. <laughs> it was wild, absolutely wild. So Jessica ends up in Freddie York's dressing room by accident while she's looking for Barbara. And he says that, um, she's like, oh, this is a very nice dressing room. And he's like, yeah, this place is a dump. But, you know, my agent, Bill, he, instead of being able, he couldn't get me any more money, but he was able to get me a window um, with a view of Alcatraz, right? Uh, And so there's a sofa under the window. Stick a pin in that piece of information. And so um, they they talk for a bit and she's like, well, you know, um, let me get out of here. Um, and I'm, I'm looking for Barbara. So he tells her, oh, well, you have to go down the hall. You, I guess she made a right instead of a left or something like that. So she goes down and she is by an open door. And Mrs. Drake and Barbara are talking. And Mrs. Drake, you know, she says she knows all about, well, it's clear that she knows about Al Drake and Barbara having a relationship. And so she's like, yeah, it's going to be my club. It's my club now. You know, I'm honoring all contracts, but uh, you're fired. (laughs) He ain't here no more. I know what was going on. You're fired. So, um... She packs up all her stuff. And the next thing we see is her Barbara walking out with a box and uh, the taxi door opening up and then Jessica sticking her head out. It's like, oh, can I offer you a ride? Now, I didn't know you could do this. (laughs) It's a taxi. And she's a passenger. She's like, oh, can I give you a ride? She's like, oh, okay. And we see that Mrs. Drake is looking down from the window and sees this interaction. So while they're in the taxi, um, Barbara says, well, I'm, I never divulge company business and then proceeds to divulge company business. (laughs) Jessica says, well, this is what I know that, uh, the police believe that Al was already dead before Howard went in there. So Barbara's like, well, then who do you think did it? Like if it wasn't Howard, she's like, I don't know who, you know, who do you think? And she's like, well, Mrs. Drake was having an affair with Mike 
And Mike was trying to buy the club from Al. So basically, he was trying to take everything Al had. Because Al had the club that was extremely successful. And he was trying to take his wife. So I could understand why Al was like, all right, you may have my wife because I got Barbara. It's fine. But you're not going to take the club too. No, 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 no. No. Over my dead body. Eh, We'll see, right? And then Patterson, she points the finger at him because Freddie Drake had, I'm sorry, Freddie York had a seven-year contract and he was now getting big offers from like Vegas and Atlantic City, but uh, Al Drake would not let him out of the contract or even adjust the contract so he could do those, um, take those jobs. So now we're at the pier. So they drop off... um, Barbara at her home. And then the next scene, we're at the pier. And it's Mrs. Drake and Mike. And um, she's like, I wanted to, you know, yeah, we needed to meet because I wanted to make sure we got our story straight. So um, he's like, well, yeah, because you were talking, I know that you were talking to a divorce attorney. And um, she's like, well, yeah, he reneged on the sale of the club to you. So we both have motives for wanting him to die, you know, for to kill him. And so they say, um, you know, but I don't believe that you did that. And it's like, we'll stick together. You know, we're in this. And so another dramatic kiss. And then they hug and the camera shows each of their faces. And you can tell that they're suspicious of the other. They think the other one uh, actually committed the murder. So they're together in name only, but they are keeping their good eye open for to see what the other partner is doing because they don't believe that... They believe that one, the other person did it. They each believe the other person did it. So now we're back at the club with the lieutenant and Jessica. And um, she asked about the nitrate test, which tests for gunpowder. And he says it was negative. But honestly, it's like they had to wait so long to get it done that it made sense that at that point, he wouldn't have any nitrate, uh, traces of nitrate on him. But okay. So now they're, um, you know, trying to reenact to see if, um, trying to figure out if there was any possibility that anything else could have covered up the gunshot other than uh, Freddie York's drumming. So they did, um, well, we find out that Al Drake was shot in the back. Um, So they would have had to, he would have had to been moved into the chair because if he he wasn't laying on the ground, he was actually in his chair and there was not a bullet hole in the chair. So um, we learned that they are taking, doing the sound test of the gunshot. They're in the club portion. Uh, the lieutenant's partner is in the office where the murder happened. He shoots with no music, with the door open, with the door closed, with music playing, and every time you can hear the gunshot. So he determines, again, this just proves that it had to be during uh, Freddie York's set and his drums 
covered up the sound of the gunshot. So Freddie comes up onto stage. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing? Um, You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden you hear this rope. Um, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but you hear a rope being pulled or anyway, you hear something falling that's attached to a rope. And the camera looks up. It's a light falling. Jessica steps back. Freddie York does a tuck and roll off the stage and throws his neck out of joint <laughs> as a light comes falling down. A stage lamp light comes falling to the ground. Um, and now, so, and Freddie's holding his neck. It's all very dramatic. I'm sure they called the ambulance and he is then taken to the hospital. So now we're at the lieutenant's apartment and he goes to answer the door and he's wearing a robe that says save the whales. So good for him. And my question is, and it's Jessica, how did she get his address? There is no way in the world that a New York, uh, well, I'm sorry, that a San Francisco police department would give you the address of one of their lieutenants, one of their sergeants, one of their detectives, one of their uniform officers. How did she get his address? This is outrageous, okay? Outrageous that she got his address. Like, did she look up his phone number? Is that, could you do that? Like, in the yellow pages, did she look him up and get his phone number and find out his address that way? Because this is inappropriate, to be absolutely honest. But, um, she goes in and she sees his cat and she's like, oh, she's such a pretty cat. What's her name? He's like, George. <laughs> of course, he would have a female cat named George, um, who happens to take to Jessica. He's like, oh, she hates everybody. Oh, you must be a good person. Um, he tells her, you would have been a great cop. You really would have, because you do have... Uh, the right stuff, you're thinking, and, and things like that, even though she's putting a lot of faith in someone she does not know. And so he tells her that with regards to the rope, that acid ate through it, the rope that was holding up the light. So it was clearly a setup and purposeful. It wasn't, um, the rope hadn't worn down. It wasn't, um, due to age or rot or lack of maintenance, it was intentionally um, severed with acid. So now we're, the next scene, we're in court and Jessica has posted bail. And she says now the court, if he jumps bail, the court has options on her next four novels. (laughs) And she must have brought, she brought, um, Howard, his three-piece suit. He must only own one suit, which would have also gotten me suspicious about how is he selling insurance and he only has one suit and it's a three-piece cream color suit. Um, so she says, you you know, it, it would help. You know, obviously she he doesn't want to be in that sequence dress <laughs> that's, or prison yellow orange. Those are the only two options he had had she not brought him clothes. So now um, Jessica gets dropped off at the driving range and Miss Fritz, um, Mrs. Fritz is there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mrs. Drake is there with the guard dog Fritz. 
And she's like, oh, that's such a lovely dog. What's his name? She was like, Fritz, but be careful. He is a trained attack dog. I was like, yeah, unless you growl back at him, he'll, that's the way you defeat him. You growl back at him. Um, So Jessica comments on how lovely her outfit is. And she's like, oh, I didn't know they made it in black. She's like, well, I am in mourning. So, um, so she's like, uh, Miss Drake is like, well, why are you here? Like, what do you want from me? Um, your nephew is the, your soon to be nephew is the one who did it. Howard's the one who did it. And she's like, well, who else could have? And so, uh, Mrs. Drake, she points the finger at Freddie York and Bill Patterson. She said, um, cause Jessica was like, oh, the contract with the club And Mrs. Drake says, no, no, no. It was a personal service contract with Drake, with Al Drake. It wasn't with the club. It was a personal service contract. So now that Al is dead, so is the contract. So now Jessica then runs off to the hospital and Freddie York is in bed. He has a neck brace on. But they're drinking champagne in the hospital. And so um, she comes in, she brings flowers. And Bill Patterson is very rude to her. But it's like, he's probably salty because she's like, I don't need your services, for one. And two, he, he, he may be aware of her competence in figuring out who the murderer is. Now, he knows he didn't murder Al Drake. I'm sure he's not 100% sure that Freddie didn't. But if he believes, if he doesn't know that the time of death is not absolutely 9.50 to 10.05, then he may think that Freddie didn't do it. And she's trying to pin it on anyone except Howard. So I can understand him being rude to a point. Um, so... She's like, yeah, okay, it's interesting. And he says, well, my they someone tried to kill my client. It's like, oh, how interesting. Because Michelle DuPont thinks it was her. The lieutenant thinks someone was trying to kill me. And you think someone was trying to kill Freddie York. What a puzzler. She leaves the flower and she exits stage left. <laughs> so now we're at... um her hotel at Jessica's hotel. Now, my question is, she is, regardless of the fact that she is famous, she is a patron of this hotel. How did they rent a room to her where the room next door is under serious construction? Because there's no guarantee that the person's going to be out all day. You know, what if I got this hotel room because I just want to lounge around someplace that I don't have to clean for two days. Like, what if I plan to be in the room 24-7 or, you know, for the the next week that I have this hotel room? How you have full-on construction going on next door? It's a, it's a very nice hotel room, but I don't know. She Hopefully she got it for free because you can't ask me to pay money and you have a whole construction crew banging, sawing, painting next door 
to this hotel room I'm paying for? No, it should have been free because that's outrageous, <laughs> okay? So she lays down fully dressed because <laughs> she's that tired and she uses a pillow to block her ears to try to get some sleep and she has an epiphany. And she immediately gets up. <laughs> Maybe she took a nap. I don't know. But the next scene, we see her back at the lieutenant's apartment. And <laughs> like, okay, you're, you're really taking liberties here. And so she says that they used a pillow as a silencer. And that's where the fella, feather came from, not the bird that Al Drake had in his uh, office. And so the lieutenant was like, but there were no bullet holes in the pillows in um, Al Drake's office. So, I'm sorry, they actually go to the office. They actually go to the club. They're in the office. And he's like, look, there's no bullet holes in these pillows. And we went through this, this office, this dressing room anyway, right? So Jessica was like, this pillow is not from this office, And not only that, it was not here when the body was discovered. You guys did go through here. And she pulls out police photos. And he's like, how did you get these? She was like, your partner, Charlie, is very helpful. Well, he he thinks she's cute. So that's why he was willing to help her. (laughs) A little smile gets you a long way, right? So um, Jessica says that... So they, they show... The picture he she shows him the picture and says he's like there isn't the pillow isn't here and so he surmises that someone replaced the pillow after the police cleared the scene and but he's like but all the pillows look exactly the same so how are we gonna know where this pillow came from and Jessica's like no I know where it came from. So the next scene, we see that they're on stage and both Lieutenant and Jessica are on stage and she's like, stand right there. Do not move. Do not move. So he's like, okay, what's going on? So she walks over to the side of the stage and she's like, okay, you didn't move. Don't move. And so she unwinds a rope and you hear the rope moving and something falling. The lieutenant looks up and steps away. And it's like, and a bag of sand crashes to the stage floor. She's like, he says, what are you doing? <laughs> oh my God. She's like, you moved. He's like, of course I moved. I heard it, the thing falling. And she's like, exactly. And so did I when it, and Freddie York, when it ha- when the lights fell. So then Freddie comes out of, he comes from the side of the stage. He comes out and he says, "Um, hey, what are you guys doing here? Um, I'm about to, you know, I'm packing up to leave for Vegas. You know, I'm flying to Vegas. Hopefully my arms don't get tired. Ba-boom, ching, right? So (laughs) they're like, okay, okay. That joke was funny then. A little dry now. (laughs) So... Jessica said they go to Freddie's dressing room, right? And says that um, he 
the pillow was from there. And the only reason that she knows that is because his office is the only one that has a um a sofa that is under a window and exposed to the sun. So it's sun bleached. Um that a pillow was used to muffle the gun, that Freddie cleaned his fingerprints off the gun, and then took the pillow that had the bullet hole. And then he went on stage to do his performance. So Al Drake was dead before um, Freddie Drake went out. So uh, (laughs) he calling him that Freddie York. Before Freddie York did his performance, he murdered Al Drake. Which would have been the time when Howard was on stage. So Howard actually has an alibi because he was on stage falling all over himself before Freddie York went on stage. So when Al was being murdered, Howard was actually the one who was on stage. And um, she said, Jessica says, the reason you did it was to get out of your contract. Now, my question is, How much longer did he have on his contract? Because Al said that you were just a young guy um, You, when I found you and, you know, you jumped at this seven-year contract and that's the only reason that you are somebody is because I gave you that chance. So my question is, well, you're getting these offers. He does not look young by any means. How much longer did he have on this contract? Why couldn't he just wait it out? Um, you know, I'm like, did you just sign it? Cause he's not young. And it seems like he had been with the club for a few years, but they never clear up how much longer he had. However, whether it was a month, a year, two years, or, you know, three days, it was too much. It was too long for Freddie York's taste, I guess. So, um, he said, so, of course, Freddie York, always the comedian, says, well, you know what? He gave me a shot, so I gave him one, too. So <laughs> I was like, yo, Freddie, you know, always on, I guess, always on. And he said that he, um, Lieutenant was like, well, then why did, you know, what What about the lights, right? And so Jessica says, well, he rigged the lights, because he wanted to divert attention because once I started to uh, clear Howard's name, he then again became would become a suspect and you might figure out that he was the one who did it. So he wanted to divert attention to show, oh, I was almost a victim too. Someone was out to get me. So I couldn't have been the murderer. Whoever murdered Al Drake was also trying to kill me. And he's like, she's right. (laughs) So now we're at the church and Victoria and Howard are getting married. There are approximately seven people. So there's Jessica and the lieutenant who is straight up sleeping. Okay. (laughs) But it seems like he works nights. So it makes sense that they're getting married during the day. He probably came right off his shift there and um, is sleeping. And it was probably an extra long shift because he had to process uh, Freddie York's arrest. Um, so it was probably an extra long shift for him. So I I understand him dozing off. Then there's 
uh, Mrs. Drake, Al Drake's now widow, and Mike. So they're, it looks like they're sticking together that now that they know the other one didn't murder Al Drake, now they can continue their relationship and now they can be out in the open uh, with it. So I, actually, I'm a little happy for them, you know. And Mike was um, one of, was the headliner for female impersonators. So they can probably still keep the club alive. They don't have Freddie York anymore and they don't have Howard anymore. So um, we'll see how it fares. But Michelle was the, Michelle DuPont was one of the main attractions. So they can probably still keep the club going. Then it was Charlie, the lieutenant's partner who was sitting next to Barbara. So like maybe, maybe they can work something out, I guess. And then there was Bill Patterson. So the wedding is over and they're all talking and congratulating them. And Howard says that he is starting a new job in real estate after their honeymoon in Hawaii. And Victoria says thanks to Aunt Jessica. And um, Bill Patterson comes running up and he says... Um, yeah, I got you. I got you this great job. Now, I guess, I guess since Freddie York is in prison, uh, or at least will be, yeah, is in prison right now and is probably going to be there for a very long time. He's now Howard's agent, question mark. But he says, I got you this job. It's two days a week on a soap opera in Hollywood. And it starts Monday or something like that in two days. It starts immediately. So Jessica's like, well, what about your honeymoon? What about Hawaii? And so Victoria's like, well, it can wait. This is Howard's dream. And so they ask, well, Jessica, what do you think? And she's like, go for it. (laughs) My question is, one, how are they making money? Victoria has zero job right now. Howard at this moment has zero job and probably... I don't know. Well, hopefully Mrs. Drake paid him the money that Al Drake owed him. So maybe they have money to move and at least get started. I don't know how much that club was pl- was paying him or supposed to pay him, but maybe it's enough for them to get to Hollywood and, and maybe get a little bit set up. Two, is Jessica going to get her refund for this trip to Hawaii for their honeymoon? I hope she can because... <laughs> They're like, I, you know, in 1984, uh, at least they were in California. So the flight would have been expensive, but not nearly as expensive as them flying from New York to Hawaii. But a hotel and a honeymoon suite, most likely, because, you know, Jessica probably does the absolute most for her nieces and nephews and family. So it was probably a super nice uh, honeymoon setup. So I hope she gets every single dime back of that money <laughs> that she spent on this honeymoon that these two flaky kids are like, oh, I can wait. You know, this is his dream. So, <laughs> but, you know, good for him. We'll see how long he has this job. We do see Victoria and Howard again a few more times, actually. So we'll get to catch up with them in later episodes um, where he does not have this soap opera job, but she has a job. So, you know, at least there's hope for them. At least they can survive um, 
you know, with an actor husband or a wannabe actor husband and a wife who actually has a very high earning potential and puts that to good use. So it looks like they'll be all right. So again, another case file closed. So this was a good one. Now, I don't watch it often. It's unfortunately one that I forget about. But when I do catch it, I'll watch it from beginning to end. It is a very good episode. And um, when I do get a chance, I do watch it. But it's not one that I search for. Although, and I'll keep repeating this, it is a very good episode. I did like it. I did have some questions, but I have questions with all of the episodes. But it's an enjoyable watch, except for the kissing (laughs) <laughs> they could I could have lived without that but a really well put together episode and so next week we have hooray for homicide <laughs> uh, where we will see one of Jessica's books made into a movie okay and all of the drama that comes with this I actually do like this episode uh Hooray for Homicide as well. Again, another one that I don't watch as often because there are some that I absolutely love. And so those are ones that I have on repeat and look forward to watching. But Hooray for Homicide is a pretty good episode too. So we'll be talking about that next week. And now if you want early access to that episode, you can go over to my Patreon, which is just me, being dramatic uh, on Patreon. And also, starting next month, November 2020, I will be doing once a month book reviews of the Murder, She Wrote book series by Donald Bain and Jessica Fletcher. (laughs) So our first book is Gin and Daggers. So that one, at the end of November, we will be... I'll be doing a review of that book. So that is also over on Patreon, just me being dramatic. And so sign on to be a Patreon and going forward, you'll get early access to these episodes. And if you get the I Want It All package, you get the early access to these episodes. You get the once a month book review And you'll also get a once a month Hallmark Movies and Mysteries mystery review. Okay, (laughs) not the Christmas shows. I, I don't like them. I'm sorry. They're well acted and all of that good stuff. That's just not my, not my genre. I love the mysteries. So starting in November, I'll be doing that. And so go over there, sign up, and I will see you next week for Hooray for Homicide. Have a great week, you guys. Bye.